Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 76, the Sean Bradley episode, as the 7-6 Bradley wore number 76 for three seasons as a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. But I'm sure we're going to be talking about the Sixers here soon, but before we get to that, the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access anytime. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, we'll start with you for opening tip. Thank you, Ross. As our 48 Minutes listeners well know, I've never been a fan of James Harden. The closest he ever got to a championship was 12 seasons ago when he was coming off the bench for OKC. In 2012, he won sixth man of the year, and the Thunder made it to the finals against the Heat, but they got smoked in five games. While that season propelled him to a larger role in a Hall of Fame career, he still doesn't have that chip. So when he was dealt to the Clippers and joined the over 30-plus club, there was talk that this move would put the Clips into the Western Conference Finals. I was a skeptic and predicted it wouldn't work. And while the sample size is small, so far it hasn't. I said at the time that I felt Clippers owner Steve Ballmer probably pushed for the Harden deal for marketing reasons, and the front office had to comply even if it didn't improve the team. I just don't see the Clippers finishing higher than fifth in the West as currently constructed. However, if James were coming off the bench and playing against second stringers, it might give the Clips a boost, and he could get himself going too. It worked in 2012, so maybe Ty Lue should give it a try. There's a famous cliche that might apply here. What's old is new again. Oh, I like that there. And, uh, you know, they definitely need to try something. Maybe it's James Harden shaving his beard and going back to uh, rookie o OKC Harden. I mean, at this point, they might as well try something there. World B, what do you have for opening tip? Uh, thank you, Ross. We're going to talk about his team a little later in our podcast, but I wanted to give a shout out to Steph Curry. Of all the lines we probably thought we'd be using this season, the one that says Curry needs help was probably way down on the list, but he absolutely needs some help. Curry's at the age now, 35, where most players are either out of his league or looking for a nice reserve role to finish out their career. But there's Curry averaging over 30 points a game this season, shooting nearly 45% from three-point range, with a usage rate of 32%, his highest in three seasons. But on a team that has future Hall of Famers, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Chris Paul, not to mention a career 19 points per game score like Andrew Wiggins, there is Curry basically carrying the Warriors' offense until the others catch up to him. Twelve times this season, a Warriors player has scored 20 or more points, and 11 times Curry was the player. This is supposed to be Golden State's last hurrah. Only one warrior appears to be taking that to heart right now. Yeah, well said there, World B. And uh, I've got my concerns out west with the Warriors as well. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga is a guy I thought was going to have a breakout season. We've yet to see that breakout. So great points there. 
As for my opening tip, I bring yet another question to you guys and uh, goes back to last week with the Toronto Raptors taking exception to the Celtics head coach, Joe Missoula, using a coach, coaching challenge of 27 points with three minutes and 39 seconds to go in a game. Missoula backed it by stating he has to take responsibility. Uh, he has to have a responsibility to his players and, and obviously, you know, defend those guys. Now, on the other side, former Celtic guard Dennis Schroeder stated, you won. You shouldn't have disrespected us like that. So both of you being Missoula fans, I ask you, was that disrespectful, Bruce? I just thought it was lame. I mean, it's like, I suppose it was disrespectful because to me it was like, what are you doing? I mean, why are you doing that? Because basketball karma it really is a thing. So, you know, next time around when Toronto plays Boston – you might have just given them a little bit more incentive to come out there and kick your ass, right? Yeah. So, um, I and not to mention the fact that it was just stupid. The game was out of hand. And look, by having an extra play instead of just running the clock out, what if somebody stepped on someone's foot and twisted their ankle? I mean, the idea is to get off the court, into the locker room, and be done. To me, it was just lame. Yep. Will be? I mean, I could have done without it. It wasn't um... – Something that I don't, you know, I, I really don't understand the, the reason why there's really no um, justifiable reasons. Other, I don't, I can't speak, you know, inside his head, he was trying to run it up. I can't imagine why he would want to be uh, uh, intentionally disrespecting the Raptors. I have no idea why that would be the case, but it, I mean, I could have done without it. I, I, uh, I've seen better, more respectful acts, I suppose. Yeah, no, and I, I kind of see what Missoula is doing, kind of putting on my coaching helmet here. I think obviously just kind of defending your players. You want them to continue to play hard throughout the course of the 48-minute game despite the score. So I see it at that angle, but overall, I think I, I think I tend to side with you guys and the Toronto Raptors on this one, and uh, let's just move on and get this game over with. So <laughs> figured I'd go ahead and ask that question to you guys before we get into our first quarter. And our first half actually is going to be our teams of the week, but we're going to start out our first quarter with teams of the week spelled W E E K. So uh, we'll be, I'll start with you. Who is your team of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with the Mavericks. Um, overall eight and two on the season. They went four and one last week, uh, beat the Clippers and the Pelicans after they lost to the Raptors uh, of all teams. You know, this is a team we thought was heading down the wrong direction entering this season. And, you know, they haven't shown that so far. Uh, when the games get tight, they're, they're winning them. Six and oh, in those clutch games that we talked about last week. Uh, and, you know, the duo of, you know, everybody wants to know what's going to happen with Kyrie and Luca together, whatever. Well, when they're on the court together, they're six and two. That's as many wins as they had last year in 17 games. So something's working out. The offense is really clicking. In general, but it's really clicking when those two are on the court. So, you know, so far it's so good for them. They haven't played the, the a murderous schedule or anything, but they don't have to right now. They you just have to win and look and you know get in sync and get sharp. And I think they're doing it. Yeah, no doubt about it. They're off to a nice start there out west. Bruce, who's your team of the week? Well, we're going to stay in the Lone Star State uh, for the Houston Rockets. Uh, started zero three. They're now 6-3 and because they run off a six-game winning streak. On Sunday, they overcame a Nikola Jokic triple-double and beat Denver 107-104. Now, all six of their wins have been at home, 
and six of their next eight are on the road. So we're really going to see how legit they are uh, in the next, you know, two to three weeks. Alperin Shengun has been tremendous at center. He's kind of a mini Sabonis or Joker, leading the team in scoring and rebounding, and has got six assists a game, which is uh, number two uh, on the team. So uh, uh, Ime Udoka and that crew, I mean, I liked him kind of going into the season to sort of, you know, be better than people thought, and at least so far, uh, they're making me look good. Yeah, they certainly are, and I think that six-game win streak is impressive despite all those wins coming in at home, especially for such a young group. You get Big Alpi started off on the right foot to start the season, continue to you know work a lot of the offense through him, and I think good things are to come this season and beyond. So uh, a lot of exciting stuff in H-Town. As for my team of the week, um, I'm going to go off the beaten path just a bit and give credit where credit is due, bringing to light the impressive efforts made by the Portland Trailblazers. They did lose the two games they played last week, but hear me out real quick. Last Wednesday, the Blazers lost in overtime on the road in Sacramento, 118 to 121, with chances to win the game outright at the end of regulation. And they lost yet another close one on the road on Sunday night in Los Angeles against the Lakers, 116-110. Let me also remind you that the Blazers are one of the youngest teams in the NBA and are completely without their starting backcourt with both Anthony Simons and Scoot Henderson out due to injuries. Let's quickly have some fun here. Outside of uh, Jeremy Grant, DeAndre Ayton, Matisse Thibel, and Shaden Sharp, feel free to stop me if you guys can give me a quick player review about the rest of Chauncey Billups' current rotation. Skylar Mays, Tumani Kamara, Jabari Walker, Duop Reith, and Jamari Bouye. I mean, the fact that they've lost the last two games, both on the road, by a combined total of, what, nine points is quite impressive to me, especially against those two teams, the Lakers and the Kings. Shout out to the Portland Trailblazers and Chauncey Billups. I certainly appreciate the efforts, watched a few of those games, and uh, have high praises despite the 0-2 record on the week. Now, for the teams of the week, and this is W-E-A-K, we're going to go with you know, who we didn't like last week. And Bruce, I'll start with you for this one. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles LA Clippers. They are flunking chemistry right now. Five straight losses, including a home loss on Sunday to the brutal Grizzlies team that has been just abysmal this year. Uh, James Harden's presence has not worked out, as we alluded to at the very top of the show. At least not yet. Team's 0-4 since he's gotten there. His scoring numbers are 11 points below his career average. He's not getting to the free throw line, which is where he lived for most of his career. Uh, perhaps the team is going through some growing pains, and I get that. So they get Denver on Tuesday night on the road, and then they host the surging Rockets on Friday. So if they should drop both of those games, they will be 3-8. and eight. So they need to turn things around like really quickly because uh, it's not looking good right now in L.A. No, no, we'll be. Uh, for me, it's the uh, Washington Wizards, and I say this uh, with full disclosure. They are putting a beating on the Raptors on Monday as we taped this. So um, perhaps they knew they read the script beforehand and got inspired. <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, yeah, they lost 6-7, of seven, and their only wins uh, prior to Monday were against Memphis and Charlotte. So I don't know if you get half a win for each of those. I don't know yet, but. Um, you know, they did come back from, you know, they showed some heart Sunday, came back from 17 down in Brooklyn, 
uh, made that a game, whatever, ended up losing anyway. But, you know, they were down big and they uh, made that a game. They actually held Brooklyn under a point per possession. Then they go ahead and have their worst offensive game of the season, getting held way under a point possession, about 90 points per 100 possessions. So, you know, that was a bad showing. They're the worst rebounding team in the league. They're bad defensively all in general. They got outscored in the last two games, 53 to 14 in second chance points. That's an unbelievable. If you average 15 second chance points a game as a team, you're doing really good or you're doing good anyway. They gave up 53 in the last two games. That's unbelievable. So it's just, you know, they can turn things around. They're looking like they're going to start on Monday. But for this, for last week, they're the WEAK for me. Yeah, they are so they are such a dumpster fire, man. I'll tell you what, Jordan Poole, not working out very well there. And you kind of, you know, there is some good news, though, for the Wizards. They're, they do own their first round draft pick this year, and it's top 12 protected, top 13 protected. So if they finish with, you know, in the top 12 in the lottery, they will keep that draft pick. And right now I'd say it's going to be a low single digit pick. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet on that too, Bruce. I think that's a good call. Uh, I can't put mine on the level of the Wizards, but certainly along the lines of the Clippers. I must admit last week I slid out my office drawer and placed my panic button on my desk for the Milwaukee Bucks. I've been staring at it for quite some time now. And let me tell you something. My hand is now hovering that panic button. I've not touched the button just yet, and I'm certainly not ready to press it. But the day is itching near. The Bucks went 2-2 two and two last week with wins over Brooklyn and Detroit with Lillard on the court and losses to the Pacers and Magic to close out their week without Lillard. But having watched these games, there's not much to really like about this team right now. The defense has been terrible. They're currently ranked 25th in defensive efficiency. And the offensive side of things has been a huge struggle as well outside of Giannis. They're currently ranked the 21st offense in efficiency. What's worse is I'm having a hard time seeing the glimmers of hope with this team. While Dame has had a few Dame time clutch moments, this team looks nothing like a title contender early on and the, the statistics support it. There's still plenty of time to sort things out and allow Adrian Griffin time to adjust to the new coaching duties, but I'm in desperate need of a sign here soon. Even with Damian Lillard on the court healthy, they've been mediocre at best. You guys Ross. have any? <laughs> yeah. Ross, what the heck has happened to Chris Middleton? I mean, he, you know, he was always the number two guy there and, and was great in that role. So moving down to number three, I was just thinking, man, this guy, he's not going to have his numbers as he's used to, but he's going to be so efficient and he's going to be, I mean, he's a mess. He's averaging 11 points. He's not even playing 19 minutes a game, uh, nearly six points below his career scoring average. And he hasn't played this few minutes since his rookie year. If Adrian Griffin's got some jobs to do, I mean, right near the top of it is figuring out how to get that guy back on track. I, and I think the biggest thing with that right now, we do need to keep into consideration with Middleton. He is on a minutes, minutes restriction. I don't know if that's coming from the front office or medical staff, but in either case, that's that's very tricky for one, a head coach, and two, the player. I mean, you know, kind of knowing, you know, how, how much energy should I exert here? I only have four minutes. You know, I have six minutes left. You know, I, I feel like they need to, to drop the minutes restriction, kind of get him going, as you're, you're saying, Bruce, yeah. because it's kind of – 
probably toying with his mindset and uh, not knowing, you know, I think it's like 22 minutes he had last, last week. And I heard our, our good friend Marcus Johnson on the broadcast even say, you know, he did play 16 minutes in that first half. So what is he going to play four in the second? Like those kind of questions have got to be in the back of Chris's mind. And yeah. I think at this point, just let him loose and, you know, he can flag down a sub if he needs one. But uh, I'm right there with you on Middleton. And as we get into our second quarter here, let's talk about some Dragon Slayers. That's the way I've been calling this team. That's the Minnesota Timberwolves. They first took down the Nuggets on the road in Denver, handing them their first loss of the season. Then earlier last week, they handed the Celtics their first loss as the Wolves defended their home court in an impressive overtime win. And just for good measure, this team walked into Golden State on Sunday night and defeated the Warriors 116-110. Bruce, are the Wolves for real this year? Yes, and the reason they're for real is they are a grind-you-up defensive team all of a sudden. You know, you always sort of thought of Minnesota as kind of like, you know, Anthony Edwards, you know, great. Carl Anthony Towns, kind of a soft big. Rudy Gobert, we were wondering, Jesus, you know, was that just trade a complete disaster for them with all they gave up? But they are number one in the league in fewest points allowed, and they're number three in the league in point differential. They're winning games by an average of almost 10 points a game. You know, they're middle of the pack in point scores, but they played a controlled pace. They don't have a lot of possessions. They play a a slower pace, but they shoot very well as a team. They're 49% from the floor as a team, 37% on threes, and a really good rebounding team. I mean, plus 5.2, that's number three in the NBA. World's favorite player, Anthony Edwards, is just like crushing it. He's heading for an all-NBA first or second team season. No no doubt in my mind that's that's where he's going to end up. 28 points a game, explosive, exciting. The dunk on Dario Saric against Golden Ooh. State on Sunday night was just like filthy. That was yeah. like a post, poster dunk for the ages. And they really do have a nice mix of veterans and youth, you know, Rudy Gobert's reborn. He's averaging 12 and 12 and two blocks. Cats, 19 and nine. Rugged defenders, Jaden McDaniels, Naz Reed, one of my personal favorites. Veteran leadership, Mike Conley. Nice bench, Kyle Anderson, Shake Milton, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, and the six game winning streak, as you mentioned, has included Denver, Boston, and Golden State. And in those six wins, the Ant Man's averaging 30. So he's leading the way for this team in every way that matters. So, they're on a, a five-game road trip right now. They're 2-0. They got three more road games this week, Golden State again, Phoenix and New Orleans. So uh, I love what Minnesota's got rolling there. They look to me like a serious team. Yeah, well, B, what have you been seeing in the Twin Cities? Well, I, as Bruce mentioned, they're the number one defensive team in the league, just averaging just over or allowing just over a point per possession, which is really, in this day and age, of the NBA is really special. Uh, they, you know, but if you look back, they've really improved their defense ever since Chris Finch got there, their defense has really improved. They were right near the bottom right before he came on board and they've gotten steadily better. They were a top 10 defensive team last season and, you know, they just, but you know, they were just there. You didn't give them a whole lot of attention because they didn't have this kind of uh, success, this kind of run. Yeah, uh, Rudy and Cat are working really well together. They're really working well on the offensive end. When they're on the court together, Minnesota's averaging 117 points per 100 possession, which is a really good number. And they're shooting about almost 60% effective field goal percentage when they're on the court. So they're really getting it done. 
Anthony Edwards, they have some nice roles now. I think it's pretty much established that Anthony Edwards is the man on this team. He's their star. He's the guy that's going to get the points. He's going to get them early. He'll get them late. When they need a basket, he'll be the guy. But they're, And the other thing is, too, Bruce Medjit, they're really big. I mean, this is yep. a big, big team. And this day and age in the NBA, you don't have a lot of teams that are that big and that you know, between Cat and uh, Rudy and the guys on the bench, Nasri, they can really go big on you. And athletic, obviously, with, with Cat and Rudy, they're pretty darn athletic. So you get bigs like that who are that athletic you, and you play the defense they play, yet I think they have staying power this year. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I think the biggest thing for this year, young group, especially a guy like Edwards, obviously coming off a successful summer with Team USA, is the fact that uh, they're really kind of all establishing their roles here early. Uh, as you alluded to, you know, Anthony Edwards knows at the end of games, the ball is going to be his, in his hands. Uh, they've played these tough top teams in the NBA. Who are they scared of now? They've already beat the Celtics. They've already beat the Nuggets. They beat the Warriors, who are the, I mean, they're still the iconic dynasty team. I mean, they've beaten all those guys. You you put any five in front of them, and they're definitely uh, not scared to go out there and compete against you. So they're a really scary group. And uh, I kind of want to revisit what I had said earlier, which was almost a bold prediction at the time. How am I pacing for Anthony Edwards potentially being a starter in the All-Star game? Do you have any thoughts on that, Bruce? Well, you know, he's going to have to get the votes from the fans. And, you know, Minnesota, in spite of yeah. the fact that they're very good uh, – they're not a big national TV team. I mean, it's true. You know, teams like Boston, the Lakers, you know, Denver, whatever, they're going to be on TV all the time. So it's going to be a challenge, but he'll be on the team. I mean, there's yeah. little question about that. Yeah. We'll be, how many times are you going to be voting? Because, I mean, we haven't taken into account how, how he might vote a thousand times a day and get him in. That's certainly possible. I, you know, I, I, he doesn't need my help getting him in. I, I, I honestly think the way things go, the way the NBA has gotten so global nationally, yeah, they're not a national name. You know, you don't have the LeBron Jameses. You don't have the Steph Currys uh, to take up, uh, you know, spots on TV games. But I think you know, the basketball world knows about Anthony Edwards at this point. And if he doesn't get the votes in, like Bruce said, he'll he'll absolutely be – a uh, all-star here. I'd also like to point out of the three here, one of us said this was going to be the surprise team out in the sure Western did. Conference in the yep. preseason. And I don't know who it was, but I, it's the guy I'm going <laughs> to drink right now. Yeah, that's that's why you're on the show world, B. I mean, yeah. you know, we're just here because of our pretty faces. You're here because you actually know stuff. Oh, well, that's a sad state for this <laughs> podcast. If it, that depends on me. <laughs> well, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer, but definitely stick with us here as World B is going to have some more thoughts on the rest of this season. You're not going to want to miss it. So we'll be back with you here shortly with the second half. <laughs> and we're back with the start of the third quarter, and uh, let's kind of turn our attention out east now as the Sixers are crushing it as they currently hold the top record out east. And it sure seems like Tyrese is fully maximizing his opportunity <laughs> to run this show. World B, I'll start with you when it comes to the Sixers. What's your thoughts on this uh, early season success? Very impressed. I mean, we we're, we talked during the uh, the Harden trade episode and when everything went down during, you know, before the season, and I raised the question whether Philly was just mailing in. I was worried that they were mailing in another prime season for Joel Embiid. Well, 
so far it doesn't look like they're mailing anything in. They're the best team in the league. I mean, that's just how it is right now. They're the best team in the league. They they've lost the only game they lost, and I brought it up after week one was against the Bucks when they had a seven point lead in the fourth, and then Joel Embiid made that <laughs> faithful uh, punch pass that got him out of my MVP candidacy right away. I may have to put him back in for all I know, but um, <laughs> they're an absolutely fantastic team right now. I mean, with the emphasis being on T for a team, you know they. You know, they can lock you down defensively if that's the way you, you have to play. Check Phoenix, check the Suns or um, uh, Boston. And then if you have to, if they have to outscore you. Check the Wizards, check the Pacers. They can do it. So they have everybody, they have the tools in place. And as Bruce mentioned earlier, all those pieces from LA really seem to be working well here. And uh, maybe, maybe it's uh, we got out of LA and we're reborn again, uh, getting out of that mess. But so far, like I said, they're the best team in the league. Bruce? James who? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, the team, you know, just addition by subtraction as far as I'm concerned. And, yes, you know, Batum and uh, Robert Covington are nice additions. But, look, it's Embiid is doing Embiid things. You know, he's the reigning MVP. He's doing everything he did before. But – Tyrese Maxey has just been absolutely unleashed. And I think Harden's departure has really opened things up for him. He now has, you know, kind of the, the steering wheel of the offense, more or less. You know, yep. you don't have Harden just pounding the crap out of the ball and, you know, doing James Harden things. You've got Tyrese Maxey. I mean, I'm, you know, I've mentioned the original Boston Strangler, Andrew Tony, on occasion on this show. Uh, People of a certain age will know who I'm talking about. This dude, Tyrese Maxey, is another Boston Strangler. He's he's strangling everybody, though. I mean, he's an yeah. equal opportunity assassin. I mean, his his shooting numbers are just crazy. I mean, he's okay. He's ninth in scoring in the league, twenty eight point six. Actually, scoring more per game than our boy Anthony Edwards, uh, shooting over fifty percent from the floor, forty three percent from downtown. Okay. His assist to turnover ratio is almost seven to one. And for a guy who plays at the speed he plays, that is super impressive. I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, and look, Embiid seems to be just fine without James. We gave James a lot of credit for him winning the MVP last year. I know World mentioned on many occasions how efficient their pick and roll game was, the best in the league by, you know, a considerable margin, if I recall. But, you know, second in scoring, seventh in rebounding deadly from the free throw line as he's been his entire career leads the NBA in free throw attempts per game. Number two in made free throws trailing only Damian Lillard, which is kind of interesting. Um, career best 5.7 assists for Joel Embiid. I mean, he's doing it all. And I got to say, I've always liked Tobias Harris, even though the last few years he hasn't really been as good as I kind of always thought he was. Well, he's good again. All right. He's in his 13th season putting up his best scoring numbers in like four years. Um, his shooting is just off the charts, over 56% from the floor, makes all his free throws, 90%, playing a lot of minutes, 36 and a half minutes a game, getting rebounds. I mean, everything they got going on has been a straight arrow up, notwithstanding the injury to Kelly Oubre Jr., which is a Big blow to them. He's been wonderful for them, starting since you know since uh, 
uh, Harden left the team. Uh, he's been reborn, uh, but after that auto accident, he's going to miss time. We don't know how much. Hopefully, he'll, you know, Batum's going to take some of those minutes, and but Ubre's absence is going to hurt. But boy, oh boy, and they get the Celtics again on Wednesday, so uh, we'll see. You know, Boston's playing New York on Monday night, and I think they're ahead after three quarters. So we'll see, you know, if Philly can do it to them twice in the course of just over a week. By the way, yeah. real quick, Rod, before, if you look listed five players, the five best players in the league so far this year, Philly would have two of them. Yeah. That's pretty good, I, in yeah. my opinion. I think between yeah. Maxi and MD, I don't think you can name five players better than, you know, those two, or at least four to cancel one of them out. So, yeah, they're – when you have two of the five best players in the league playing on your team, you're uh, you're ready to be something special. No, no doubt about it. And I don't think that's an opinion right now. I think that's a fact. And uh, the thing I've really enjoyed watching with this team now under the leadership of Nick Nurse is he's really got these guys executing on two different levels, the pace and the space. I mean, on both defense and offense, I mean, they get the defensive stops. Maxie's pushing, pushing the ball with pace. They get the ball to Embiid where he's averaging 5.7 assists per game. They're doing it with the space. And whenever you bring help, guys like Tobias Harris and others are really benefiting. And, of course, one of those beneficiaries, unfortunately, was Kelly Oubre. Uh, definitely hurts to hear the news with him. But, uh, you know, going back to that trade, Bruce, I mean, they did get back some pieces that conveniently kind of fit what they need now with in, in Oubre's absence. And we saw that with Batum starting. Obviously, Covington's back in town. So it, it seems like uh, everything's kind of clicking at the right time for this team. And uh, seeing Maxie really kind of take that next step has been really fun. I think all NBA fans should be really enjoying this because, as you said, he's been super efficient uh, and he's a quality point guard. So uh, definitely can't take that for granted around the NBA. So, you know, been, you know who I, oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you know who I really like off of their bench? He doesn't put up big numbers. He doesn't even play a lot of minutes. Paul Reed. Or B-Ball Paul, right? Yeah. That dude, I mean, because most of the guys coming off of their bench are veterans, you know, Batum, Patrick Beverly, uh, you know, um, Covington, who's back kind of where he started, you know, yep. in Philly. But this Paul Reed, man, I mean, he's he's only averaging like four points, a couple rebounds, but he's got some hops. And when he comes into the game, you have to account for him. I mean, he had a couple really nice plays against Boston in that win the other day where it's like, you know, here's a guy, you know, just a role player. I think he's got a pretty bright future, though, maybe somewhere else. But I really like him. I think, you know, when you start watching Philly more, some of the more casual fans who might pick catch a Philly game – Watch that guy. He's really – he's like a pogo stick. And by the way, you know, we talked about before the season, it was supposed to be in the East, and we all did. I did it. Everybody did it. Boston, Milwaukee, and everybody else. I yeah. talked about, oh, maybe the Knicks can get up to the three spot because Philly's going to drop. And now you look at the way things are shaping up. Phoenix was supposed to be a dominant team. They haven't gotten going. Milwaukee certainly hasn't gotten going. The L.A. teams haven't gotten going the way we thought. Denver's playing the way we thought they'd play. Boston's been pretty after that, Philly is right there. They're not only there in terms of the East. I mean, they're an NBA title contender right now. And why not? When you look at the way the landscape is in the NBA, why can't they think NBA title in Philly right now? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And uh, Daryl Morey, let's not forget, has those picks now. He can go make a splash around the deadline and add some more firepower to this team. 
if he so chooses. So lots to look forward to, interesting stuff in Philly. But in the short term, as you mentioned, Bruce, tough week for the Sixers. They face both the Pacers and Celtics. So that will be a, a challenging task, and I'm sure we'll have things to say about that next week on the show. But as we get to our fourth quarter here, let's get back to our three-man weave. It is back, and let's start off discussing the Golden State Warriors' home woes. Bruce? You know, last year they were 33-8 and eight at home and 11-30 on the road. They couldn't lose at home. They couldn't win on the road. Well, for some reason this year, they're only 1-3 and three at home, but they're 5-2 and two on the road. Their home losses are to Phoenix, Cleveland, and Minnesota, and the lone home win was by one point over Sack. Uh, who knew that Jordan Poole's absence would lead to such a crushing, <laughs> you know, home court performance? Will be anything to add there as far as the records are concerned? As the offense, it's really uncanny to see how far the offense has dropped in at home this year. I mean, they're they're shooting under thirty percent from three point range at home which you just don't figure – well, everybody's shooting. Outside of Steph Curry, nobody's getting the job done. And offensive efficiency, you know, we expect them to be one of the best in the league, and they're 105 points per 100 possessions. That's – at home, that's just not going to get it done. This is what they were doing on the road last season, like Bruce mentioned, when that was their bugaboo. Now it's – I mean, they'll get it going. You assume they'll get it going at some point. You know, Sunday night was the second game of a home-and-home. And they've done that already with success, but that, you know they are, you know, pushing social security age. So it's uh, it's a little tough for you know to get every. Uh, I believe it might be their third back to back already this season. Uh, so you know, and they play on Tuesday, so that's three games in four days. We'll see yeah. what happens with them. I think this is six game homestand for them, and they're two two games in. I think it's the second longest they'll have all season. So you know, they really would like to get going here the rest of the rest of the week, but they got to pick up the offense. No, they definitely do. And when it comes to the offense, as much as we were given Tobias Harris, his flowers in Philadelphia, the guy that definitely doesn't deserve flowers right now is Andrew Wiggins. I mean, for all our uh, fantasy basketball listeners out there, I mean, obviously don't drop him, but he's been a droppable player so far this year in fantasy basketball. It's been that bad for him. Jonathan Kaminga, I mentioned him a little earlier on in the show, had a great breakout preseason performance and then, kind of just back to 12 points a night at best. You know, he's not really giving them that lift off the bench that they were maybe hoping for. So somebody's got to step up. Obviously, Steph Curry is doing what he can, as you alluded to, World B, in your opening tip there. But, uh, man, I I just don't know where it's coming from. You know, Draymond Green, he can orchestrate an offense, but he's not going to be putting up points for you. I think it's got to be back. Andrew Wiggins has to find his stride. Oh, I agree. I, I I totally agree. 11 points a game or something like that. I mean, it just can't be done. By the way, the answer to the trivia question I gave at the beginning about 11 out of 12 players uh, getting 20-point games, Steph had 11 of them. The other one was Dario there, just so uh, – Oh, wow. Uh, just so he – it wasn't Clay, It wasn't Dre. It wasn't Chris Paul or, or Andrew Wiggins or any of those guys. That's who it was. So, yeah, Clay Thompson's not really shooting the ball that well. He, he came back last season – He's really become Clay Thompson, just a three-point guy at this point. You know, he he really doesn't take the ball to the hole very much. He doesn't shoot very. Most of his shots are outside. The majority of his shots are outside. He's just not hitting them right now. He, uh, I think he's thirty-four percent from the above the break area, the three-point line. That's that's not Clay Thompson uh, percentages that we're used to seeing. And there's really no. It, it could be a slump. We're only in 
week three, so it could just be an early season slump, but certainly hasn't affected uh, Steph. I don't know why the rest of the team can't follow suit. Well, you know, Draymond's getting up there. You know, I think we've seen certain parts of his game declining a little bit over the, you know, past, you know, couple of years. And as you mentioned, you know, Clay, you know, look, you know, he's he's battled the injuries. Yes, he's been back, but, you know, he's now north of 30 and with a lot of, you know, miles on him. Look, all of those guys, it's kind of like the LeBron James deal in that every season for them has featured like an extra 20 games. So, you know, because yeah. of all the playoff games. So those guys, you know, they have even Absolutely. more miles on them than a normal, you know, playoff team or, you know, someone like Zach Levine who never plays a playoff game. You know, their 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 seasons are always very long. So you could start to see, you know, a little bit of the age creeping up on those guys. Yeah. On the other hand, Clay Clay's in a free agent year, I believe. I think he's he's wants he wants a big money coming out his last big shot, a big contract. So this isn't the way to go about it right off the bat. I Maybe mean, the Knicks I, will pay him. No, I got it. The Charlotte Hornets He's not are broken gonna... down enough just yet. You got, <laughs> just, just like with LeBron James. LeBron James isn't there just yet. LeBron's got to – when he gets to be like 45 or something, he can only play about 10 minutes a night. Then the Knicks will give him the 40 mil a year that, you know, that he covers. But until then, huh. same thing with Clay. He's close now. He's closing in on – being on the downside, but not quite there yet. Hey, Ross, I I, I think World B is <laughs> clearly the snark king of this show. Oh, oh, for sure, he definitely is. That's, that's uh, you need good material, that's for yeah. sure. And the, the, the Knicks front office certainly supplies that. Well, I was going to add, I'm going to give the Knicks a free pass here. It would be so much like the Charlotte Hornets to not draft Scoot Henderson because you have Lamelo Ball. Now have Brandon Miller, who's playing pretty well for his, the start of his rookie year, and then go sign Clay Thompson to kind of disrupt that progress Brandon Miller's making. I could see Clay Thompson getting a max deal from uh, Charlotte, kind of kind of following the lines of Gordon Hayward. So uh, keep a lookout for that. <laughs> well, I'll be on the edge of my seat for that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as we move on here with our three-man weave, we'll make another pass here to Tim Hardaway Jr. of the Dallas Mavericks, who is now entering the Sixth Man of the Year Award conversation here early. He's currently tied for third in the league with an average of three-and-a-half triples made per game. Bruce, what have you seen from Timmy Hardaway Jr.? Well, you know, Everybody will give most of the credit for Dallas's hot start to the two guards, and rightfully so. Although I would also throw in Derek Lively at center, who's been really a nice, you know, rookie big for those guys. But Tim Hardaway Jr., man, that guy is like adrenaline coming off the bench. I mean, he's averaging almost 18 a game. Fourth, as you mentioned, in the NBA with three and a half threes a game. He's jacking up like nine of them a game. So, I mean, he's got a he's got a green light to shoot him, and he's making them. Uh, he and, and Karis LeVert, top two scorers off the bench in the league, although LeVert actually started one game. But Tim has started no game, so he truly is a six-man. Uh, third leading scorer for those guys uh, after Luca and Kyrie. And, uh, Ross, I know uh, he's somebody that you're well familiar with. Yeah, no, I spent some time with Tim in New York when I was a video coordinator there. Nothing but great things to say about him as a person. And truly, I'm glad that he's found kind of his home in Dallas. And I, I really always kind of felt he was more of a elite off the bench type scorer. I mean, he's a luxury to have off your bench, knowing he can give you 20 to 25 points a night 
if he gets going from behind the line and uh, really happy to see things working out for him in Dallas because, as you mentioned, he's been a huge part to their success. Will be anything to add on Tim Hardway? Oh, no, he's been great. And as Bruce mentioned, the Mavericks have responded when he's, when he's on the court. I mean, they're averaging 122 points per 100 possessions. That's that's a, a really impressive number. Now, the Mavericks are one of the top offensive teams in the league, so anybody on the court is going <laughs> to uh, kick butt there. But, yeah, I mean, 38% on three, 17, almost 18 a game. You know, he scored 15 points in nine out of 10 games this year. And, you know, he's, once again, another living example of, once you get away from the Knicks, your career just blossoms. <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, last but definitely not least here on the three-man weave is, much like Borat, the Pelicans are missing CJ. CJ McCollum, that is. I don't know how many people watch Borat there, but I had to throw in a little zinger for you. But McCollum's been out for the Pelicans. They've obviously been struggling. Their last loss came on Sunday night against the Dallas Mavericks. Bruce What's your thoughts on the Pelicans without CJ? Well, they were four and two when he was playing, and then he got hurt, and they're zero and four without him. Uh, in those first six games, he led the team in scoring four times. He led him in assists four times. But it's not just his scoring that's missing; it's his presence. Yep. I mean, he's the veteran starter on a team that's very young and really misses his on-court leadership. In the games he played, the the Pens were, you know, outscored by about three points a game, but that's kind of skewed because they had a one game where they got completely blown away. So they were holding their own. But in the games that he's missed, they're being outscored by more than 13 points a game. So, you know, they, they need that kind of veteran presence. He's, he's still a bucket getter, averaging close to 22 a game. But, you know, there's no on there's no coach on the court on that team if C.J. McCollum's not in the lineup. Yep, no doubt. Will be. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the Pelicans and the fan because it's not just C.J. they're missing. They don't have Trey Murphy. They don't have Jose Alvarado. Herb Jones has missed time. He's a valuable defensive guy on the bench. Ingram's missed three games. Zion's missed a pair of games. They just have not had their full allotment of players. And it's a real shame because we talked about last season before Zion got hurt and they had everybody, they were the best team in the West. It wasn't the Nuggets. It wasn't the... Clippers, anybody? It was the Pelicans, right? You know, right before Zion went down. You know, the big three for them: CJ, Zion, and Brandon Ingram. They've only been on the court together for sixty-one minutes, and in those minutes, they're only averaging the Pelicans are only averaging ninety points per hundred possessions. That's a really low number. That's that's like bottom of the league number if you did that for a season. So you want those guys to get on the court, playing together, and let's see what they all what they can do. Because I think if everybody's, you know, in the lineup or on the court, they really are a very good team and going to be hard to beat if everybody gets healthy again. Yeah, great points there will be. And I think with uh, Jose Alvarado being out, especially at the same time as CJ has really hurt this team, of course, they're starting their young uh, UConn sharpshooter Jordan Hawkins at point guard, which isn't even really his position. But I think if they can get Alvarado back on the court here sometime soon, we're going to see a dramatic difference in that offense just to have a, a, a floor general out there. I mean, just lacking that you're going to struggle offensively, just not having a, a point guard out there at any point in time. And I know Ingram does a, a good job distributing at times too, but right now he's had to pick up even more of the scoring load with uh, CJ McCollum out. So I've got more to come on the Pelicans in my final thought. Before we get to the final thoughts, I do have my best bet segment. 
And I've got three underdogs I like to cover most spreads. And number one, I'm going to start off with the team I teased at the opening or at for my team of the week, and that is the Portland Trailblazers. Of course, uh, you should continue to keep an eye out on their spreads. Reason I like them to cover, not, they've not only kept games close with a current season point differential of minus 5.3, but they do have the guy to turn to down the stretch in Jeremy Grant, who does have the ability to knock down clutch shots. Number two, did you really think I'd go an entire show without mentioning Bismack Biombo and the Memphis Grizzlies? <laughs> Believe it or not, the Grizzlies currently have a point differential of minus 5.5 on the season, despite their record. And much like in Portland, this team competes till the, the very end. They can string together defensive stops, turn to Desmond Bain down the stretch who can get hot, and they are a classic backdoor cover candidate. And last but certainly not least is the Detroit Pistons. They immediately will elevate themselves to the top of this list should Boyan Bogdanovich come back here soon. Yet another ultra-competitive young group with a minus four-and-a-half point differential on the season. At the same time, stay cautious with the Pistons because they tend to run out of gas, and Cade Cunningham hasn't developed into a closer the way they need, need him to down the stretch. But if the spread is too disrespectful, pounce on it. And that will do it for Ross's bets, bets here tonight. And uh, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts, Bruce. Kelly Oubre Jr., the aforementioned, whose name has come up a couple times in the show. I feel horribly for this guy. In the past, I've criticized him for his style of play and kind of poked fun at his good looks. I always said he never saw a shot or a mirror that he didn't like. But what happened to him on Saturday in Philadelphia makes me really angry. Ubre, who lives in Center City, was crossing the street at around 7 o'clock on Saturday night near his home when he was struck by a vehicle which fled the scene, okay? He's going to miss considerable time with a broken rib and some other injuries. He's expected to return this season, but who knows if he's going to be the same when he comes back. As Ross mentioned before, you know, ribs are a tricky thing. You take a lot of contact there and it affects your shooting motion. It's, it's, it's a big deal. Since joining the Sixers, he's been a major reason why they got off to an 8-1 and start. After James Harden was traded, he moved into the starting lineup, averaged more than 16 on very efficient shooting. So hopefully Kelly will be a quick healer and come back strong. Police are still searching for the driver of that silver vehicle that hit Oubre, and we hope they find them soon and they are punished. Get well yeah. soon, Kelly. Yeah, our thoughts go out to Kelly Oubre and just devastating news out of Philadelphia hearing that. Don't wish that on anyone, especially a guy like Oubre that signed a one-year deal, got off to a great start, and to have this kind of be uh, a speed block there is just very disheartening. So uh, prayers up to him. We'll be. Thank you, Ross. In our preseason prediction podcast a few weeks ago, I made the statement that I thought Billy Donovan would be the first coach to be replaced this season. After the Bulls decided it was necessary to have a players-only meeting after the season opener, I thought that prediction would be pretty solid. But the season hasn't become a disaster just yet. See how they're playing against uh, Milwaukee on Monday, for an example. They entered Monday just 4-6, and six, although beating the Raptors, Pacers, Jazz, and Pistons is not exactly a resume builder. But the offense is improving, and in this league, if you can get your offense going, you'll have a chance. But in one of the most mystifying statistics of the season, the Bulls are getting outscored by 17.3 points per 100 possessions when their version of the big three, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic, are on the court together. 
Chicago's season has not become a disaster yet, but if the Bulls can't get those three going together, my preseason prediction about Coach Donovan will probably come true. Good point there will be. And I think as we began taping tonight, I took my last peek at that box score. And I think DeMar DeRozan in the first quarter was 0-6 from the field. So uh, I can't figure it out. I mean, they're all good players. Yeah. And they just – and it's by the way, not to keep going, it's the third straight season that they're getting outscored. The Bulls are getting outscored when they're on the court. Every year they've been together, they've been outscored. And it's just hard to figure out. Definitely. As for my final thought, uh, following the Pelicans lost to the Mavericks on Sunday, Zion Williamson had this to say, quote, last year we had a team meeting and we brought up some things I can do better, especially with buying in, into the program. Right now it's tough. I'm taking a little bit of a backseat right now. I'm trusting the process. I'm trying my best to buy in right now. So my confusion is what is so tough about this? Is it tough buying into a program? What kind of backseat are you referring to? Right now, you should be taking a forward seat with C.J. McCollum being out. I'm no expert, but I don't believe the Pelicans are asking you to take a backseat while on the floor at all, even if C.J. is out there. To me, it's just tough not having C.J. McCollum, a leader that has been counted upon, does buy into the system, and leads by example. So I would encourage Zion Williamson to do the same and start leading by example. But what do I know? And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.